Barth. If you have never heard the name, it is now time to remember it. Barth is poised to be the next big, no, colossal thing in fashion. Born and raised in Brooklyn, Barth was influenced early on by styles, cuts, and colors on the streets of New York. New York City's streets are infamous for doubling as the world's favorite runways and catwalks. Unknown to a young Barth, these sights would influence him in years to come. Barth admits that he wasn't initially a fashion guy. Like every other New Yorker, he loved to look good. He appreciated designs that were not common, but didn't see a future in that industry. Barth was a designer at heart, but of a different kind. His passion laid in creating huge spaces. Barth wanted to design buildings. After graduating from Howard University with a degree in architecture, Barth was excited to affix his creations on boulevards and blocks across the globe. He, however, grew disenchanted when he realized that most developers were not so much interested in the creative or the aesthetically pleasing, but in simply maximizing profit from square buildings. Barth knew that there had to be some other way to express the myriad of ideas floating around in his mind. After some research, he came to realize that legendary fashion designers such as Coco Chanel, Tom Ford, and Virgil Abloh all had architectural backgrounds. This was the fuel that Barth needed. He flew to Europe and explored the fashion scene. From fashion houses to fashion shows, Barth was inspired and there was no turning back. He returned to the U.S. and thus B-Gold NYC was born. After years of designing and promoting his brand, several celebrities and high-profile individuals started to take notice and wear his pieces. That recognition led to him being selected for HBO Max's The Hype, a streetwear competition series that highlights the top tier of streetwear designers. Barth, as you would imagine, emerged victorious. Equipped with that title, incredible designs, his wit and cleverness, an unmatched work ethic, and a vision for creating stunning garments, Barth has only just begun. This is the story, thus far, of Barth of Beagold, NYC. I am Crispin Brooks, and this is Planet 30. He's one of the hottest designers to emerge in recent years, although he's been doing his thing for quite a while. The man they call Barth of B Gold NYC. Welcome to Planet 30. What's up, my brother? Happy to be here. Got a link in with my New Yorker since I'm back in town, you know? For sure, for sure, for sure. Now, Barth, you were raised. Tell us where you were raised and the impact. I knew you were raised in New York, but which borough? I mean, I'm I'm as Brooklyn as it comes. I was born in Brookdale Hospital, so I'm from Brownsville. I grew up there, went to school in D.C., went to Howard, came back to New York, lived all over Brooklyn while I was trying to figure things out early in my career. 
But, you know, I'm a Brooklyn Knight. Brooklyn Knight. Tell me, and, and that's a very important point, because how did the culture of Brooklyn impact you as a designer? It's funny because, you know, Brooklyn is totally different as when I was growing up. When I was growing up, everybody had on Tim's. Everybody had on the same Jordans. Everybody wore the same sweatsuit. Now Brooklyn has become this new mecca of emergent style, and, and that's beautiful. It's like I'm happy to see that growth different like everybody had on the same brooklyn uniform you know you could tell where somebody was from by what they was wearing Mm-hmm. and you do have a, a caribbean background so how does that tie into things um like i said i was born in brooklyn but i'm first generation like most of us here so you know my family was born in guyana they all still got green cards <laughs> now who were some of your early influences uh style wise in terms of well tell me locally maybe even in your family and in media? Um, locally, you know, I, I was always a fan of just something that looked not just expensive, but like wealthy. You know, like I, I always like things that look like most of us. That's why I guess why people gravitated towards polo and things like that, because it made you look like, you know, a polo player or somebody who was, you know, eating dinner at, at the Waldorf or something like this. So I always tried to marry that high fashion with my streetwears. You never just see like a plain hoodie. You'll find a hoodie that's tailored or you'll find like cuts that come from that sort of mindset and idea. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Do you remember any favorite pieces of fashion as a kid? I mean, it's it's weird because, you know, they were, they were label whores back then. They just wore fashion just because it was a name. Mm-hmm. It wasn't until I got older that... I started to really search and find things that I, that I guess we, I connected with, you know, I found like old designers from the seventies or like new designers, but you know, some guy in Munich that nobody here has even heard of, but like his, his tailoring and his cuts are ill. Right, right, right. Cause I think we, we all sort of had that, um, you know, piece of clothing that nobody else in your, in your class had or your school had, but you just felt like the man when you had it, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's the thing. It's like, I, that was never me. Like, cause I've, even with that, it's like, what was that piece of clothing? That was like, you know, a polo sweater or like some coogee or something like that. Mm-hmm. But just chasing whatever they was commercializing and selling to us. It's like, everybody wanted to look like Biggie. Everybody wanted to look like Nas. It depends on where you was from about how you would dress. Right, right. Influence, influence. And so music obviously had a big impact on many people, but especially oh, those from New York. But, like, fashion-wise, like, I wasn't even a fashion dude back then. Like, I didn't even really care. Like, I was like most people. I was just rocking the uniform. Right. Which leads me to my next question. What was the what was the dream back then? If it wasn't fashion, what was the dream? I had an idea. I was, I was making it up. Like, most people at, you know, 16, 17, I was trying to figure out the dream. Fashion. You know, I didn't find fashion until after I went to Howard on an architecture scholarship. And I came out, I worked in Soho for a firm for about two years in a cubicle and nearly lost my mind going bored to death. And that's when I found fashion. That's when I literally started to research and Google what else I could do with my degree. And that's where I found out that Tom Ford, Coco Chanel, like even Virgil, he went to school for architecture before he moved over to fashion. And that's what literally gave me. I've always had style, but that's what made me want to pursue fashion as a career. That that's mad interesting because, as you mentioned, you know we have the same alma mater, Howard University, and we know that Howard is like the epicenter of fashion. Right. So it's like you can't walk on the yard without having style at all. 
<laughs> I wasn't like a fashion guy where it was like, uh, you know, I want to, I'm researching this and I'm, and I'm designing and, and making, I would, you know, we would tweak things here and there. We, that's what back in the days we just throw paint on stuff. I thought we were designing shit like that. That was just, you know, getting our feet wet. It wasn't until after architecture that I actually researched fashion. Like I went to Europe for four months and was traveling around for the different fashion to actually studying fashion. So, so you did that voluntarily? You just said, let me take some time off and go and see what this thing is all about? Well, I had a friend of mine who was a model in London, and he was like, yo, if you really want to do this, you should come over here. And I was like, all right, you know, I'm about to quit my job anyway. I'll come over there for two weeks and, you know, see what I can learn. Mm-hmm. He was like, yeah, I'll show you the ropes. I'm going to walk you around, da 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 and while I was over there, I met the owner of his agency. It's like one of the biggest modeling agencies in London. It's called Select Model Management. Mm-hmm. And they, the, she fell in love with me. She was mad cool. She was like an auntie. She's like a black chick from South London. So when she saw my Brooklyn ass, like I stood out over there. And to see someone like me want to pursue that career, she was like, yo, I'm going to help you. And that's why I stayed for four months. And I literally went with them and the agency to like 15 fashion weeks, just crashing different shows. That's incredible. What what years are we talking about here? This was probably like twenty sixteen, you okay. know, back then. Okay, okay. So less so less than ten years ago. Yeah, it's like it wasn't wasn't five years ago, but it was definitely a while ago. Like the fashion that I was seeing is totally changed to now. But it was it was my first introduction to real high end design. Like I was in Domenico Dolce's Palazzo, which is his crib. I'm like, yo, where am I? Like, who are these people? And they're, like, introducing to pointing out, yo, this guy runs this. This guy does that. You should meet him. And, you know, I'm, I'm just trying to be myself and learn and, and absorb as much as I can. And then after I did that for a few months, I came back to New York and I actually started to build the brand. Off-the-cuff question here. In your opinion, why is fashion important? And, and to those who say fashion is, is just frivolous, you know, especially not coming from the fashion world initially, what are your thoughts on that? When people say, you know, I don't even see why people care about style. I mean, you you, you got to be real, though. It's like, it's not like we need more clothes in the world. Like, if everybody making fashion just stopped right now, there would still be enough clothing for everyone in the world for the next hundred years. There's more clothes than we need right now. So it's not like that's needed. But when you when it comes to, I guess, people wanting to express their individuality, like, I look at fashion as art. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's how you express yourself is how you show the world how you move. Like, that's what I liked about architecture. I like, I like being able to create spaces, but now I create personal spaces for people to showcase to other people. You know, it's, it's a, on a smaller scale, but to me, it's a little grander because it gets more reach. It gets more, it gets more out there in a sense. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. Pedaling back a little bit, when you discovered that Virgil and, and, and Coco Chanel and all these people were in architecture, I guess that was your light bulb moment and said, hey, you know, personal spaces as opposed to to group spaces. Like, think about it. Like, I'm sitting in a cubicle. It's 11 a.m. I got coffee. And I'm in a suit sweating in 90-degree weather in Soho. I look out the window. I see all my friends from the club the night before. And it's like, why am I in this cubicle? Like, you, you, it's got to be a better way to create a career. And when I realized, like, damn, that fashion looks fun. Like, these people look like they're designing what they want. They get to do what they want. They go where they want. It just seemed like weight freedom and what 
I thought architecture was going to be. Like, if I could be Jay-Z's architect, I'd stay in architecture. Because then you could actually design something. Wow. You know, like, because he'll pay for it. When you're in school, you design whatever you want, a building big enough for a plane to go through it. When you get out of school, the developer only wants squares. And can you fit two more squares in there because you've got to make more money? Like, that's it. So that part kind of drained me design-wise. Right, 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 right. Now, for those that are listening that are younger, maybe into architecture, they may be in that space that you were in. What's What would you say is, uh, you know, what skill set or what skills from architecture would you say you apply in fashion? Literally everything I learned, like down to, you know, small calculations to make sure the sleeves connects to the shoulder, to being able to draw and sketch and like take an idea from your head and put it in a form that you can explain it to people like a factory or like your contractors and then, you know, bring it to fruition, being able to to push through all the details it takes to make that thing come to life. Tell us, tell us about your, your, your line, B Gold NYC. Yeah. So we, you know, we, this current collection we're doing is the house of Barf collection. So you'll see a lot of bees, you'll see a lot of Chanel, you'll see a lot of, I guess, things from my youth. Like, even if you think about that, like, all of the Chanel work, all of those looks that I get probably comes from me seeing people wearing old school polo and, like, rugby and things like that. Because that's what I see as, like, something luxurious. Like, I've always wanted my designs to have dimension. So you'll see hoodies that change into something else or like something that has different textures that feel differently. Uh, it's it's going to be all over the place, but you know, you'll realize that we have our own itch and what we create. So mm-hmm. if you take a look, you know, it's BeGoldNYC.com. Everyone's welcome. We got all sizes. We make that We dabble in the kids. I don't really like to do kids too much, but that's <laughs> you know, you know, people are, you know, particularly about their kids. Like, go and watch the show. You see Offset yelling about his kids. <laughs> and, indeed, that's why I laughed. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't like messing with people's kids. They get particular. Now, the bee, the actual animal, what was the inspiration behind that? Why, why a bee? So, like I said, I was sitting in my cubicle and I decided, boom, I'm going to do a brand. And I was supposed to be working on some building design, but I was sketching and I was trying to come up with a logo or like an insignia or like my version of the polo horse in a sense. So I was drawing my name out, you know, Bartholomew's Gold, because that's what I wanted to call the brand, because you know, I wanted, always wanted to tie in some sort of 24 karat gold element to make sure it carried value. And it wasn't just, you know, like, you look at any Gucci piece, it's, it's literally cotton and cotton. You know, it's like embroidery or screen printing or something like where When you break it all down, Balenciaga, Gucci, this, that is literally cotton or silk or it's a fabric that's been formed into something else. So when you spill champagne all over it and a girl get lipstick all over it in the club, it's worthless after that. But I wanted the people that were investing in my clothing invest in themselves in a sense where they can actually pull value from the garment even after it's soils bank or whatever. Right. On the show, The Hype, you actually uh, said, so, and, and I'm going to paraphrase that, you know, you can get a, you can get home if you still have the B from your clothing. You know what I'm saying? Like, you you in Paris, and your wallet, what you going to do with those two Gucci hoodies? Nothing. <laughs> you have to sell those at a 
quarter of the price, but you could pull the gold from that bar, trade that in any market in the world, and still get home. Because it's still twenty four karat gold, which is man, that's that's amazing. And a lot of and I'll say this: a lot of uh, celebs have discovered you, and people didn't even know that that that, that was B Gold NYC that they were rocking. That's the problem. It's like. I, that's that's how Gucci and brands like that was bootlegging. It's because, you know, they would see Snoop or somebody like that wearing it or they, like me. Like, Gucci and them saw me in Milan. Like, because I had 15 models wearing my shit backstage. So it's like they would see this and they know that I'm so small that everybody else don't know yet and they try to run with it. But the real people know the word is out now. All that's done. So, Barth, in terms of the whole B situation, as a, as an insignia, as a logo, so the the house of Gucci uses the same uh, animal or figure. Uh, tell us about that situation. That's an issue. It's like my my trademark is before that. So yeah, this this is the problem of being um, a smaller guy in the market full of you know bigger animals. Is yeah, I have my trademark and. It can put in a trademark after mine that looks similar, but one, do I have the $25,000 retainer it's going to take in order to send them a cease and desist and get the money from it? Not yet. Um, two, how were they able to even do it? They just take something that looks cool and alter it slightly. So they took my V, bent the wings, and put it three stripes. That's literally what their trademark is. Wow. So, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, go out there and trademark your shit, but that doesn't mean you're protected. Like, you need money to protect yourself. You need to be able to litigate these people that violate you. you know? So until I find a cool lawyer out there that want to holler at me, I need to I need to get up the funds in order to a shark to go eat a shark. And 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 that is a huge lesson for young designers that sometimes the trademark's not enough. It's like really, it's about your community, which is, which is the lesson. You know, what I'm saying if you build your community big enough, it's more protection than the trademark, because the community will protect you, and they make noise, and it it will become a thing. Because a lot of people don't know about me yet, because my community is smaller than Gucci's, they were able to usurp a large portion of the market before they saw me. It, you ever seen Gucci or any other brand repeat a motif? reason why they've been repeating my B is because it's their highest selling collection ever. You know what I'm saying? And that's because I made the B hot. Right, right. You were onto something. Like, think about it. How long she been in existence and the B motif is their highest selling collection ever, which is why they've been repeating it. And all of that shit is after my. Incredible. So tell us some of the celebs that have worn your stuff. Oh, man, all over the place, from, you know, basketball players to singers. Like, my first my first celeb was Alicia Keys. Like, we did her back in the days. Like I literally crashed her set for the Teenage Love Affair video and, like, started showing the director's shit. And then he showed it to her. And, like, she got me to Swiss and got to a few other people. I've just been blessed to kind of, you know, meet people organically, and that's why they connected me, like, Dave East or Fabio Foreign or, you know, a lot of things that I meet just being around the town. That That's such a New York thing that you just said. I just crashed the set. <laughs> like, literally, like, somebody sent me, the, my boy was working production. He was, like, some little guy carrying shit around. He sent me the address. I just showed up with a case full of clothing. Like, who's the stylist and who's the director? 
ask questions until I meet the right people. And security didn't get rid of you. That's it. <laughs> you gotta, you gotta, you gotta work your way around that. Luckily, that was back in the days before, you know, before COVID. Security was a little lighter then. <laughs> now, going back, speaking of the bees, you were, you made it a point to wear your clothing when you were on the show, The Hype on HBO Max, and that's something I noticed about you in particular on the show. Was that a conscious decision? You were like, I'm going in here and I'm wearing bee gold every day, all day. I make clothing. I don't wear nobody else shit now. Like, all I do is wear, like, I make everything down to boxes, socks, slides. I'm not going to, I'd be damned if I go on HBO and wear another brand when I make clothing. That was my mindset. So I literally wore my own slides. I wore a different pair of socks every day just to showcase all my different designs. Like, I was, I was spelling because, you know, I was there for competition. You never know how long you're going to be. So why would I get it? another brand that's not paint shine were you were you um so when you knew that you were going on did you make anything unique uh and say okay look i'm I'm gonna do some unique pieces just to showcase on this show yeah i made a couple a couple pieces so um a couple pieces from my runway that i wore and then i wore mostly my collection items that i want to sell like my new hockey collection or the new sock collection, or the shades collection, or like I carry my duffel bags every day yeah. to show up that collection. You know, it's for me, it was a marketing tool. Like I was there to show people what I do and what I currently have. And if you like it, hit BeagleNYC.com. I mean, it was it was it was brilliant that 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 you even decided to go on the show because, like I said in the beginning of the interview, you've been around for quite a while, but now your voice is that much louder. But tell tell us about your experience on the show itself. The show was amazing. It was um, the people behind it, the production team. It was all black production team. The executive producers were all black. It was it was beautiful to see that many brown faces on the scenes as well as in front of the scenes because this was the first time they had all black you know cast as far as the contestants. You know, last the first season didn't look like the second season. Mm-hmm. But it was it was beautiful to see that that sort of evolution and. You know, in streetwear and production and, and like the quality of production, because now this is HBO and you see all these brown faces running this. And it wasn't like, like, no offense to any of the other shows, but it wasn't like chatty or like people arguing. Like, there were arguments on the show, but you didn't see none of that shit. Like, they didn't even show any of that because they weren't about that. They were about the designs. Tell us about, you know, during the show, just the, the, experience to work along with Marnie and Offset and how, how was that? That was great. It's like, I had a lot. It was scaring me at first. It was a little, it was a little shaky in the first couple episodes. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, they, they got cooler. It, it wasn't even that they scared me. It was that they were, get, they were giving me so much shit for my beat early on that I was like, yo, do y'all even fuck with me? <laughs> so it, it became a a thing of you know maybe they just want to see me evolve and try something else that's how i looked at it i was like also made it a good point it was like you know if somebody bootlegged my sound i can't just keep rapping the same i'm not gonna sound right now i'm gonna sound like them right you have to show your evolution as an artist and be able to come up with something else and i was like of course i could come up with something else and i was i was conflicted when, when they said that to you on the show because i was like so i create something now i gotta take a l Thank you. It's like, trust me, I was conflicted too. 
<laughs> you can see it in my face. But it's um you know, it, it it is what it is though, you know what I mean? It's the nature of the game. Yeah. It's, yeah. When you look at when you look at the fashion industry, a lot of the players with more money take advantage of the smaller guys. And you know, it's just it just is what it is. It's like, you know, back in the days when everybody was getting those puffy music deals. It's like you wanted to rap, right? You gotta take a fucked up deal. Question for you. If you were in the judges' seat and take yourself out of the competition, who would you have picked as the winner of the hype? If I wasn't in the competition? If you were not in the competition and you had the same cast, who impressed you of your fellow castmates? If I had to pick someone else other than me to win the hype. Yes. I think they did a good job with the top three. Excellent. There was a lot of talented people um, and the people who weren't talented, you know, they... They got eliminated pretty quickly, but the who made it to the top three should have made it to the top three because the the other two designers were also people who can construct. It's like there, there was a, a argument we had on set where it's like, oh, this ain't a, a sewing competition. Like one of the other designers who, who wasn't too good at sewing and was relying mostly on his his tech packs and his ability to tell someone else how to do it. You know, they would run into issues when the person doesn't understand them well or they didn't explain it right or they make a mistake. They don't know how to fix that mistake themselves. When did you, when did, did you always know how to sew or when did you learn how to sew? Um, probably about three years into designing, I had to teach myself how to sew because I got sick and tired of paying everyone else to sew. Like I said, it's, you know, you, you first have to get the idea into a tangible form even if you want to take it to a factory to tell them how to make a hundred of them, somebody's got to make the first one. So that's where you spend a lot of your money is, is creating those samples and those initial designs and sample makers know that. And so they take advantage of you. So I had to eliminate paying the sample makers so much money by being able to create my own samples and go direct to the factory. And samples will open you up again in terms of being a space of vulnerability. It opens you up to, your design's being stolen. Exactly. Exactly. It may not be the the actual sample maker, but they got a friend. They got they got an assistant. <laughs> not only not only that, when if you really pay attention to it, it actually becomes their design. Mm. Sort of like in the record industry when you record in the studio, the master belongs to the studio. Exactly. It's like because the, you couldn't produce it without the studio. The studio's equipment is what recorded everything. That's why they own the masters initially. So when you think about a pattern maker, if you just come to him with some little cute picture talking about, hey, I need this jacket. He actually made it. Is he the one who created the dimensions for it? He created how wide the arm is and all this other shit just to make it look like your picture. But he had to make it tangible. And that is intellectual property, which is his. People need to know this. Young designers, listen up. I mean, this is this is so important. But speaking speaking of designs and and and, and your uh, designs, that white hoodie on this show, I think I think I was sitting down looking at this show with my wife, and we both kind of leaned forward and jumped up on the seat. <laughs> <laughs> that thing was fuego. What? How do you? I mean, was it the pandemic that sort of inspired that that hoodie, or it was, it was the pandemic, and it was another designer, Cole McLaughlin. It was like 
I was doing the pandemic. There was not much to do but sit home and create. So I was just, I had a bunch of fabric. I had a bunch of leftover ski masks. I didn't know what the fuck to do with them. And it was this designer on, on Instagram and on TikTok. Her name is Nicole McLaughlin. And she just makes rant girl shit out of anything. Like she she took uh, Chipotle napkins, sewed them together and made cargo pants. Wow. You know what I'm saying? And she she had done it with, um, she had got a commission from Carhartt, and she had made a pair of shorts out of the Carhartt beans. And I was like, that's a really good idea. I said, I'm going to do a hoodie. I got all these fucking ski masks here. Let me try to do a hoodie. And I literally just, just winged it. And that's how I came up. Because that thing flipped from a hoodie to a mask. I was like, wait, wait, what? It's one of those rewind moments. Where you had to hit rewind on on, on the remote to see <laughs> what did he do? <laughs> it's a very proud moment. I said, "That's that Howard innovation. That ain't nothing but that Howard innovation." <laughs> different there, and that comes that comes from my my snowboarding background because when you snowboarding, you have to cover your face going down the mountain because you're breathing so much. Right. And so rather than tie a bandana around my face, I just built it into my hoodie to be able to flip forward. And again, this was all during the era where you couldn't really get into the club with hoodies, so we had to make them different anyway. So it was already like, it was like a, a two-for-one sense. It's like, oh, this would be perfect for snowboarding. And then I could flip it into me, so if I need to get into the club, it, it was just me trying to think ahead of the game sort of thing. Right, right, right. I mean, very innovative. So you, oh, you're, you are a snowboarder. Oh man, I love it. I'm addicted to it. How'd you pick that up? Um, randomly, I was in um, North Carolina. Actually, it's funny because North Carolina got the second biggest mountain on the East Coast. I had no idea. Hmm. And I went with some friends to snowboard. It's like, yo, we're gonna go snowboard. I was like, what the fuck? I was like, it's summertime. It's like, oh, we're gonna drop like an hour away and go snowboard. And we went to Sugar Mountain in North Carolina, and I, I got. It was so much fun that I bought the rental board from the rental company for a hundred dollars. I was like, I'm taking the shit back to New York. And now I just drive to Hunter or to the Poconos or to Vermont. And I go, I already bought my season pass for this year already. Like that's how much of a fan I am. See interesting tidbits about the designer. Winning the hype. Like how, how did it feel, man? Like when you finally, when they finally announced that, that Barth was the winner of the hype. Tell me that feeling. It was, it was, amazing it was it was i can't even put it into words it's still kind of it's still kind of fresh and like you know you you believe it but it still don't feel real real yet you know what i'm saying because things happen so fast and it's you know you you're kind of in it and out of it so quickly that i still haven't really processed it in a sense but I'm grateful for the experience. I'm grateful for all of the hype and all of the buzz and every everything that we're getting from it, the growth. You know, that's that's why I did it. You know, I, I want to to take this chance to see if I can get my story out to a bigger audience to connect to more people who will enjoy wearing the clothing that I make. And and thankfully you were selected and thankfully you you heeded the advice of the judges and you advanced. I mean, it's amazing. So, Bob, tell us about some of the moves that you've made since the show. Uh, I've, I've been mostly planning. I've been designing a bunch of stuff. I'm creating everything I want to drop once I get that prize. Um, I'm literally just in plot mode right now. I designed a few pair of shades. 
We went forward with the gold balaclavas, so we have those already in production. Um, I've designed the collection. Now we're going to take a couple pictures of it. We're going to start to promote that in like the next week or so. You know, we just got the ball rolling. I've already had a few things that I wanted to do. I'm just kind of treating like as if, not that I haven't won, but like I'm, I'm still an independent designer. It's like it's not like I'm signed to any agency. It's not like we have a mother agent or like an Adidas behind us, like easy. So you know, we're still we're still pushing and shopping for those bigger, those bigger platforms that can help us grow, so take over and become that next Ralph. Are there any designers or brands that, that you could see that you can see yourself collaborating with? Whose aesthetic uh, sort of attracts you? Yeah, I'd love to do a nice high fashion collab, like something something that can help take my tailored looks up a notch. I don't, you know, it, it, I could be any fashion house, you know, like my favorites, Fendi, you know, Gareth, people, things of that nature. But I also want to take my, because again, like I snowboard, I'm athletic myself. I also want to drop like an athletic line with a house like Nike or Adidas, you know, they just drop yeah, so maybe they got some budget. You went, you went, you went right into my next question. Well, now I was going to ask you, like, would you ever consider doing like a like a, like a formal wear or something? Oh yeah, I mean, I get I get offers for that all the time. It's like people always ask me, like, "Yo, can you make me a suit for my wedding?" It's like I can't, but you know, I, you want that made in, in with a real tailor that does this shit that does it for 20 years you know that's what i mean like if, if i did suits i would want to go in to a bigger fashion house like tom brown or like you know purple label or something like that and design the suit and have their skilled tailors create them you know that, that's the only reason why i would want to even work with a bigger house like even nike or something like that is to take what i'm doing and scale it up like ten times, tenfold. I mean, they have, they do have the distribution chains and, and everything, so it would make sense. Like distribution chains, even their manufacturing, even their sales team. It's like, dude, I wear I wear every hat in my company. Like, I don't got no managers, I don't got no sales manager. I'm doing all that shit. So I'm designing, I'm selling, I'm hanging out with five year olds so that way he wear my shit in the video. Like, I'm doing all that. It's 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 tough and. Tell us about some of the difficulties that you've had as a designer along the way. Mostly that. It's like the ability to scale is never as fast as you want it to be. You know, you want you want to do more as you as you're doing more. And so it, you know, it's about growing your team. That's that's been my biggest difficulty is finding a good team, finding like a good sales manager, finding a good manager for myself so that way they can be out knocking on these doors and, and getting me those meetings. Right. These are things that I shouldn't have to do for myself. I need someone to manage and do that. But everybody wants to be a manager, but nobody wants to put in the work that it takes to be that. Did you did you discover the uh, HBO uh, show on your own, and did you sort of just apply on your own? Actually, they um, they contacted my brother. My brother's an artist, and um, he, he used to rap. He used to rhyme with Sean P. He was one of his artists, so he was on tour and. A stylist approached him. I was like, "What are you wearing?" I was like, "Oh, this is my brand because you know he runs the brand. He works with me with the brand." And it was like, "Oh, we want you to do the show." And he was like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nah, I'm the rapper. You need to talk to my brother. Like, he'll he'll do the show." And so they they literally just DM me, and I thought it was some bullshit at first. Like, I ignored him. 
And then, like, I finally responded, and then he he sounded legit, but I still didn't kind of trust him because they didn't have – this was season one, so they didn't have HBO. Well, I don't know if they had all of that, but they couldn't tell me all of that. So they wouldn't tell me what network it was. They couldn't tell me who were the celebrity judges. So I was like, yeah, no, nah, this could be some VH1 ratchet shit I ain't doing. <laughs> and then when it came out, I, was, I hit the guy up. I was like, hey, is this the thing that you tried to get me to do? And he's like, yeah. I was like, oh, shit. I was like, this looks legit. He's like, I told you. I was like, all right, well, put me down for the next season. And it just so happened that, you know, season two came around and I was available and they reached out and we were able to make it all work. I mean, that's it's like serendipity because, you know, a lot of times there's so many NDAs and, and everything else that, you know, you have to go through. I mean, I I worked in production on Top Chef a couple of seasons, well, seasons and seasons ago. And I remember... Our NDA was crazy, and they were like, if you ever spill the names of any of these chefs, even as a production person, you owe the network that, that, that amount of money. <laughs> I was like, Bro, three figures. I was like, yo, I don't, I, like, listen. They, they had a three-figure leak clause. I was like, damn, this shit crazy. Those contracts are scary. <laughs> that was another thing that almost made me not do it, is because the contract they sent had all of that type of stuff in it. And then, like, you know, the the use of your likeness and, and throughout the known universe and all those type of phrases start to scare you. Yep. Release forms. Quite familiar with them. <laughs> so it's like, yeah, you, you kind of don't want to mess around when it comes to, you know, because you could have you gone on social media like, ah, 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 I just won, I just won, I just won. That would have been a problem for them. That would have been a big problem for them, you know. So, you know, it was better to... I, I, I know I know during the time, you know, before the final... the final. Uh, well, let me ask you that. What was the time between winning and the airing of the final episode? It wasn't, it wasn't that much. It was like probably about two months. Like, they went through the editing process pretty quickly. Two months is a long time for some people to be quiet because I know you probably had to keep it away from some of your friends and family. I had to keep it away from everybody. I couldn't tell anyone. It's crazy. It's like, and then, then finally it came out that the show was, was coming out and that, oh, and then people see you won it and they're like, the first, before they even watch the episode, they want to know, did you win? I was like, yo, watch the fucking show. Like, it's, you know, it's yeah. episode one. Go you, watch one. You gotta watch. You gotta watch. <laughs> <laughs> Bart, tell me about the discipline that it takes to be in this game and stick to this game and stick to your vision. Uh, it's the discipline is, is what it takes to do anything great. You, and I never really wanted to work for anyone, so I, I figured if I'm going to bust my ass working hard, I'd rather work hard for myself. Bart, what advice would you give to someone who wants to design but is afraid to start, even if they're a little older? I'd say just do it, you know? The only thing you can do is, the only thing you can do in life is just try. And most people are scared to fail, and failure is just going to help you learn how to do it better the next time. So, you know, like, everybody's worried about, oh, I don't know if I'm ready, I don't know if I know enough. It's like, no, just do. I wasn't ready when I started. I don't feel like I'm ready yet. You know, I'm, you're always growing as an artist. You're always evolving. So get started so you can start to evolve. What advice would you give to 14-year-old Barth with regard to your journey? Would you have done anything differently? No, not at all, actually. It was fun. <laughs> like, I enjoyed everything that went wrong and went right to get me to where I am now. You know, it's 14-year-old Barth. I just tell him, 
just go faster. <laughs> like run head first into it more. Don't hesitate. <laughs> do you, let me ask you: Do you do you at all miss architecture? Do you even do you sit down some days and say, "Man, let me let me let me design a building just to keep sharp." Oh man, look, I, I look at architecture all the time. That's why I love to travel. It's like I'm I'm always looking at you know different things. I still read Architectural Digest, but. I'm not gonna be an architect until I could be Jay and Beyonce's architect. Man, I'm telling you, I need somebody that wants to spend that money. Come on. <laughs> I hear you. Great. Like, I'm not designing no more squares. What What's the next big thing for B Gold NYC? Um, next big thing is gonna be our February runway show. We got a couple surprises. We got a bunch of new designs ready for that already. Um, before that, we're gonna do a couple smaller capsules. We're gonna do. A little snowboarding collection. We're gonna do a little full winter collection, and then um, we're going right into February for spring and resort. So that's that's gonna be the next big push. So I want this show to be ten times bigger than the last one. Last one we had about three thousand people show up. So I want this to go even crazier. Barth, what is your ultimate goal when you when you when you're 105 years old and you're sitting on? the veranda of, of of whatever mansion it is you build in Jamaica or Trinidad or Barbados or wherever, and you look back and you say, you know, that's the thing I wanted to accomplish, and that's the thing I did accomplish. What What is that? What is your ultimate goal after all this? I want to build legacy. Like, I want, I want to build something that can be a new space and a new vision for that 10-year-old Barth that's running around Brownsville right now. So not not that Ralph Lauren face, not that Nike face, but a face that looks like them, a face that kind of represents them, a face that comes from where they come from, and they put that on and it makes them feel as good as that brand new Ralph sweater does, or that brand new pair of jewelry. The B will be in full effect. So Bart, this is a segment of the interview where I strap on my, my spacesuit and I go into outer space. And I leave you on Planet 30 all alone. Say to the audience whatever it is you want to say to the audience. If it's advice, if it's a word of caution, whatever it is you want to say to the audience, the planet is yours. And whatever you do, make sure you be great at it. And don't look back. And don't look back. Words from Barth himself. Here's the most important question of the evening. You alluded to a little bit before. How do we contact you? How do we buy your clothing, where is it available? Um, our e-commerce is our biggest post. Make sure you check out egoldnyc.com. Uh, if you're in New York, we got three other stores in the city here. Where you can go and pick up stuff live in Soho and the Low East Side. Head to the website. You can get those addresses. But, you know, stay stay looking directly at us. You know, go straight to our e-commerce. Go straight to the e-commerce of whatever brand that you support and buy direct. Also, uh, what's your socials? Uh, socials are the same as my website. It's B Gold NYC, B G O L D NYC. So that's all socials. That's Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. The winner of HBO Max is the hype, and your favorite new designer, Barth of B Gold NYC. I can't thank you enough for being on Planet Thirty today. Thank you, brother. I appreciate you having me here. Let's make some noise for Brooklyn. Come on, we all out here, baby. For sure, for sure, Brooklyn. Thanks a lot. Thank you for listening to this episode of Planet 30. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter 
at OnPlanet30. Like us on Facebook.com slash Planet30. Our email address is OnPlanet30 at gmail.com. That's O-N-P-L-A-N-E-T-T-H-I-R-T-Y at gmail.com. For more information about Planet 30, visit our website, planet30.com. That's P-L-A-N-E-T-T-H-I-R-T-Y dot com. I am Crispin Brooks, and this is Planet 30.